You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm Barbara McGinnis, partner and certified elder law attorney at Tagus McGinnis Elder Care Law. Today, we're talking about the action steps one needs to take after being approved for the 10 Care Choices Program. Joining me for the conversation is Josh Bay. Josh is the 10 Care Specialist here at Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law. Welcome, Josh. Hello. Thank you for having me. Okay. So now you've jumped through all the hoops and finally your loved one has been approved for 10 Care. That's Tennessee's version of Medicaid. But unfortunately, there's still more work to be done. Right, Josh? Correct. Yes, ma'am. So, you know, first things first that I like to do is verify that the actual approval or effective date is correct. And also the patient liability is correct if there is one. So tell us what a patient liability amount is. So the patient liability amount is what you're required to pay to the facility, your income, minus any medical deductions, such as your Part B premium, supplemental insurance, vision, dental. And the remaining that's left after you pay those is paid to the facility And that's called a patient liability amount. Yeah, that's just a weird way of, uh, but it's 10 care talk. It's it's their vocabulary of what they mean that because 10 care is a cost share program, you're going to pay a portion of the cost of care. And that portion comes from your income minus the allowable deductions that you just mentioned. And um, instead of just saying, here's your bill, they say this is your patient liability amount. So your work's not done either after you get that 10 care approval letter for our clients. You you still have those action items. Correct. Um, but you go you take it one step further for our clients, don't you? You you conduct what we refer to as a post eligibility conference. We call it a PICO meeting for short, but that's just our language. And there you give families their homework again, right? Right. And for for an individual, it's simple. You know, you just have to keep that person or that member at or below $2,000. Where it gets a little, you know, uh, somewhat complicated sometimes is when there's a spousal case. And when you're approved with TenCare, TenCare requires that you meet the spend down amount and that you have no more than what they say that you can keep as the community spouse. And sometimes whenever you, or most of the time, whenever you complete that spin down and you get the approval, the member still has more than $2,000 in their name on financial documents, such as the bank account. They still are partial owner of the bank account if they have life insurance policies. If they have you know, retirement accounts that we didn't surrender at that time. They technically at that time, they have more than $2,000 in their name. And this is the time that we uh, get get the member down to $2,000 on paper. 
in reality. We get them down to, to $2,000 on paper when you're meeting eligibility criteria and get them approved. Mm-hmm. And then if they're married, their community spouse working with us, you in particular, have 12 months from the date of approval to get things actually titled into in the name of the community spouse. Correct. So now, right? So how much that community spouse gets to keep versus how much the institutional spouse gets to keep, well, that involves some, um, could be asset restructuring, but it might just be title work. Um, We often work to get the homestead out of the institutional's or the 10 care recipient's name uh, via new deed, a quick claim deed to the community spouse. Spouse to spouse transfers are acceptable. But you go through all of their bank accounts and help them determine which accounts need, uh, has title work to be done, getting that institutional spouse or the otherwise known as the 10 care recipient, getting their name off of those accounts. You also help make sure they're looking at beneficiary designations, uh, perhaps in the name of the community spouse, they own a life insurance policy or they own IRAs and 401ks. We work to make sure that the, the 10 care recipient is not the beneficiary of any of those accounts. That's part of what you do, right? Correct. Yes, ma'am, because you would hate for that that member, after all the work that's been done and get that person approved for Medicaid, you would hate for that member to re-inherit or inherit money from the spouse's death. And you have to go through the entire process again because you didn't make sure that those beneficiary changes were updated. Updated. You didn't make sure that the account uh, pay on death benefit was updated as well. Right. However, we're not really disinheriting that person. Right. That's part of um, the legal services that we provide is that the married couple that is not on 10 care, the married person that's not on 10 care, we make sure they have um, a will that we call a trust will. It's a supplemental need or special needs trust inside that will for the benefit of the 10 care spouse. And so it's it's a way of making sure the, the money could be used to supplement the care. We're not disinheriting the spouse, um, but it, it still protects the money. I know everybody thinks, well, you've got this person in the nursing home. They're going to be the one that dies first. Um, often that's just not the case, right? Right. Yeah, we've, you know, we've seen that at least a, a couple of times a year where that community spouse passes away before the member. And, you know, if, you know, normally we, you know, we follow through until the changes are made just so that doesn't, you know, pop up and, you know, um, and the uh, member is now, you know, not eligible for choices because the, the community spouse passed away. So, but what if someone say they're not working with us and that community spouse passes away first and they have perhaps joint assets or beneficiaries that were not updated. And now the person in the nursing home inherits money. They're subject to a new spend down, aren't they? Or unless it's so much money that we're 
we're just going to just use it to pay for care, care and we're not going right. to we're not going to worry about trying to maintain 10 care benefits. Right. So that that's reportable, of course. Um, and then you have then you have a time period. We like to say by the end of the month that those funds are received, they need to be spent down. That's what policy says as well. So, you know, that's where we, you know, we have to make a plan to uh, get that member back eligible. And you can either get them eligible and report it to TenCare and stay on benefit, stay on the benefit, or you can report it to TenCare and request to be taken off the benefit because it's like you said, you may not need the choice is benefit anymore. Right. And there's, you know, every family, every situation is going to be uh, unique. And they're going to have factors that are specific to their family. And we help try to take that into consideration when we're giving them uh, recommendations. Because I can totally envision a, pl- a time where there's not there's not children involved or there's not anyone that we're particularly worried about preserving that inheritance for other than both spouses. So one spouse passes away, the other spouse inherits the money. We just want that spouse to be taken care of. Taken care of, right. Um, And we no longer have to worry about stretching that money out to uh, care for the community spouse. So that that's one thing right. to take care of. Okay, what about, we're still talking about a married couple. Someone's in the nursing home on 10 care and they own life insurance. Can we get that life insurance transferred to the community spouse? Yes, you can get that life insurance policy transferred to the community spouse just by transferring the ownership of that policy. And um, that's when you uh, just reach out to the life insurance company, and hopefully you've uh, added the uh, power of attorney on file to them so they'll speak with you, because if not, then they will not speak with you. Um, And just ask for a uh, ownership change form. Mm -hmm. And whenever you receive the ownership change form, most of the time it comes with a beneficiary uh, form as well, so you can update the beneficiary, because again, that's important. The insured will stay the same, the original insured on the policy, but you change the ownership and also you can update the beneficiary. It, what Does it matter if it's a term policy? It does not matter. You can, you can change the ownership of a term policy if you like, but you don't technically need to change the ownership. Because there's no cash value. Because there's no cash value, but you do want to make sure that the beneficiary is up to date as well. And you also want to make sure that the premiums are continuing to be paid because remember, depending on the account that the premiums are coming out of, you could have taken that balance down because you don't want the member to have too much money. So you may take that balance down. And if if the money, if the account doesn't have enough money in it to pay those premiums, depending on how the premiums come out, it could lapse that policy. Okay. Well, I think there's a couple of things that people could take away from from this episode. One, uh, after approval, you probably still have work to do to uh, ensure eligibility, continued uh, eligibility. Number two, you do not have to disinherit your spouse that's receiving Medicaid benefits. You can 
create that special will for them. Um, three, you have a duty of obligate, uh, an obligation of reporting to TenCare if there's a significant change in resources. And then probably the, the last thing that I'm thinking we want folks to, to take away from, from this session um, would have to do with maybe timing uh, of some of these knowing when to do certain actions and the timing is within that first year. And if you're, and if you're listening and you're asking how will 10 care know that I really did this stuff, um, 10 care may do what's called a redetermination to make sure the assets have really been uh, titled appropriately going forward. Right, Josh. Right. And currently they're not doing redeterminations, but that could that could create a bigger issue because when you're doing these changes and you're doing them in 2022, and let's just say 10 doesn't start doing redeterminations until maybe 2024, just for an example, when they send you their resource, the resource assessment that they completed, it's for the accounts of when they completed their resource assessment. So you may not even have these accounts anymore. So that's why it's important to keep up with those accounts and go ahead and go ahead and report it to TenCare once the changes are made, because if you don't do it at that time, when it's time for them to do the, the reder, a redetermination, they're going to be asking about the accounts as of the resource assessment. And that could have been two years prior. So you want to report them as the changes are being done. Report them then just so Tinker has them. And keep track of those. Um, I think reporting all along, you know, not just verbally, but faxing in information right. or uh, emailing information. But keeping track, if you've closed an account or closed out a CD, keep documentation of what's been closed because, you know, it's, it's just hard to remember all those little things in life and to right. know what, where to go back. And right. uh, so keep your receipts and keep your documentation to prove eligibility. Um, well, I know you're valuable to our clients and the firm and making sure that folks stay com- compliant with, um, with this program. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Tecus McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com. Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.